0: Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We started this series last week titled Overflow. And today is part two of a six-part message series that we're sharing It's really a preview of our 2024 vision because we're setting uh, our eyes, we're choosing to set our eyes and our hearts on this idea of overflowing with the life of God. And, And that's a vision of abundance. That's a vision of trust for provision, trust that the life that God has for us is not a life for us to simply get by, but it's not a life for us to exist in survival mode, but it's a life that moves confidently toward overflow. And so we started this series talking about all the different parts of you, the different parts of us, and, that, and how the life of God is supposed to flow from your spirit, which is the innermost part of you, out into all these other parts uh, that we have. And uh, in, 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 in what we miss sometimes is that there's an order, there's a flow, there is a part of you that is the, the innermost intimate part, and then there's the part that everybody sees. And typically we focus on the part that everybody sees. That's why we started the series last week talking about that part. The part that everybody sees, your performance part, your, your work part, the part that, that uh, people see at work and, and, and in life. But the idea of this series is that if you can catch the flow of the Spirit, if you can catch the, the, the life of God, it can overflow from your spirit to the other parts. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Now there's a problem that we face nowadays that we can all identify if we just think about it. Sometimes we fail to recognize the different parts of us. You know, it's a world that, that is constantly focused on presentation. And so our generation... Thinks about optics a lot with all the social media and the video things, right? I think about my parents generation, it was rare for somebody to own a video camera. Now our devices have four video cameras. (laughs) There's a video camera everywhere. We're always being filmed, always being watched, and there's this idea of optics, of presentation, and what we, what we have come to realize, or what, what to believe, not realize, but believe, is that optics is important. Perception is reality, is what is said. We can easily fall into the trap of thinking that as long as perceptions are managed, then we will see success. If we can manage perception, success is possible. As long as we can control the narrative, then we can... We can reach our goal so if you can if you can control what people say about you then you're in the clear like like you could be a mess right but if people see you as together then you're together because that's what they see you might be a ticking time bomb but if you can hold it if you can do the right i'm dating myself now but then you'll be okay. Because as long as you don't let people see that you're actually angry, no harm, no fall. It's all right. The problem is that just like this strategy didn't work for the very funny Martin Lawrence in Bad Boys 2, it doesn't work for us. Here's what's happening. The popular idea of fake it till you make it, it's breaking down. And for, the, for those of you who are parents, you can see it. It's breaking down right in front of your eyes because our children are not buying it. The next generation is not buying it. See, I'm a millennial. I just barely made it into the millennial group and I'm very proud of it. I'm a millennial. Many of you in the room here are millennials. And the, the truth is that the millennial generation likes polished. We like polished. We, we like to present things nice and tidy we like presentation keeping things neat see for me i don't think everyone needs to know everything about you i don't think everyone needs to th- know everything about me i value privacy and it's not cuz i have anything to hide i don't have anything to hide but i just don't want the drama i just don't want the gossip you know, I feel like I can share life with you, and we can share life together without dishing on anybody's issues or anything and anyone. Millennials are the none of your business generation, right? It was very popular for us growing up to say, "Hey, Nanya." That's what that's what <laughs> that's what we we'll tell our kids sometimes. Hey, Nanya, it's none of your business. Now, here's what I've learned about the new generation, Gen Z gen alpha and and beyond they're not like that in fact they don't trust polished if 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 things are too tidy if things are too neat it looks suspicious to them talk to any teenager if things are too pretty it's not real Because they want real. They crave real. Because the generation that raised them has been pretending for too long. And so they crave truth. And for them, truth means raw. For them, truth means unpolished. And sometimes very, very public. They post about everything. If there's a camera in the room, they'll move toward it. See, my generation, if there's a camera pointing at us, we do this. You don't need to film me. I don't need to be in your tape. I don't know where this is going, but for them, oh, I I got something to show. They don't mind if their face and their their and, and their their life or is in somebody else's phone. They don't mind if it exists in somebody else's device. And a consequence of this clash between generations is that now one of the most popular solutions that we have to the problems and challenges that is presented to us is this. Normalize it. That's the drive. Just normalize it. Let's normalize things, which really means I want to be able to live openly with all of my faults, but without judgment. Please don't judge. Which is a nice argument. And it might even be said that it's rooted in kindness in a quasi-Christian kindness. Because some of you who have grown up in the Scripture, you, you know the Scripture, and you might, we might make a case here for judgment, whether it's warranted or not. You know, Paul says that, you know, you got to have righteous judgment, but at the same time, Jesus said, judge not that you might not be judged. So we can get into that argument. I'm not going to get into that argument today. I'm going to get into the fallacy of this this idea of normalizing things, though, because the fallacy of this approach makes judgment the problem. It's almost, a, 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 it's almost like a feeling of, hey, I can't, I can't overcome this. I can't defeat this. So let's just make it normal. Let's at least remove the judgment. But it doesn't deal with the problem. Normalizing the issue, issue doesn't make the problem go away. It doesn't solve the problem. It just deals with the feeling that we have sometimes. of feeling bad about it. And we don't want to feel bad about it anymore. Now here's a passage that addresses both approaches. And, and it should challenge us to, 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 to think. Isaiah chapter 5 verses 20 And 21 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. It should make us ponder because it is true that going through life pretending that everything is okay and presenting an image that's not real and telling everybody a story that's not authentic is unhealthy. In fact, it's very unhealthy because you present something that's not real. And the end of it, what happens is you end up with self-hate. Because only you know what's actually going on. And only you know that you're presenting a fraudulent version of yourself. And that inner conflict leads to a low view of self. Why? Because that's what lying does every time. Lying leads to a low view of self. But if we allow the pendulum to swing all the way to the other side as well, And instead of hiding our problems and hiding our issues and hiding the things that can be destructive and hiding all the negativity because we want to control the narrative and present something pretty. If we go to the other side and we begin to call them good and we normalize those things, we begin to say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's normal. It's okay. We begin to believe that the actual problem is the stigma, not the thing, because that's the new thing right now, right? It's not that the thing is bad, it's the stigma on the thing that's bad. So if you remove the stigma, everything will be okay. It's the soul that's searching for acceptance, that's searching for belonging, and trying to find worldly ways to solve a problem that needs to be solved from the inside out. A problem that needs to be solved from the spirit. I'm talking about real inner conflict that people that people go through today. Our friends, some of us here, we deal with this with this conflict. Do I live pretending or do I open up myself and own up to it and try to remove the stigma? And 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 because there's no solution. The problem with this second mindset is that produces self-righteousness because you will seek Approval and approval only. You will seek belonging and belonging only. And what will happen is we will see ourselves as right all the time. Which means that all resistance, all disagreement is wrong and personally against us. And a person that lives that way long enough will eventually become alienated. This person will will develop a level of pride that will go unnoticed, and that will lead to deeper and deeper loneliness. And that's what we're seeing in our generation, our younger generation these days deeper and deeper loneliness. People craving for community because they're amongst people, but they don't feel connected. They're amongst people, but they don't feel like they belong. And that's why the word community has become such a buzzword for several groups of people. And it's been, it's been tweaked to mean community. It doesn't mean that, that we are sharing life. It means that we have a little small part of us that seems like it's common. And the reality is that many of these so-called communities are not actually communities. See, a community is where... You're known by name, but know your story, you're connected. It's not just a particular behavior, gender, or skin color that turns you into a community. A community is where you're accountable. People can hold you accountable to your commitments. They can hold you accountable to truth. It's not simply a group that proclaims to think like you in a particular issue that's out here and the fringes of who you really are. And so what's the solution? What's the solution? How do we each overcome our generation pitfalls in these profiles that we're living in and, 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 and we have intention between generations? See, last week we talked about how to see the life of God in the most visible parts of us. That is our performance, our work, what we produce, what we show the world. And we talked about how to see the life of God in those areas of us, we need to see the life of God first in our lifestyle. Because that's the, that's the element of us that feeds into that part of us. So these are the two parts that need the life of God. Now we're going to go one layer deeper from lifestyle today. We're going to talk about the layer that feeds into your lifestyle so that your life of God can go from this place to your lifestyle to the outer most parts of you. And if you think with me, if the life of the Spirit needs to flow from your spirit and overflow into these other parts from the inside out, like we said in the beginning, what is the part of us, what is the part of you that flows into your lifestyle? We're going to call this part today, your environment. And that's the title of the message, environment. It's your environment, it's our environment. The ecosystem that we have created That we that we live in. See whether it's at home, family, school, or work, you are a participating agent in an environment of an environment. There's an environment that you are a part of. It may sound counterintuitive, but it is your environment that sets the pace for your lifestyle. If you think about it, and in turn sets the pace for the most visible parts and most public parts of you. And we see this flow vividly represented in the life of Jesus. See, Jesus is the greatest example we have of living in the overflow. But there's a fascinating story in the Scriptures. Not the only story, but there's a fascinating story that really depicts this. The flow of Jesus and the decisions that Jesus made intentionally. It's a story where Jesus encounters a man named Jairus. I have identified with Jairus my whole life um, because he was a God-fearing man who needed Jesus to solve a problem. But more than ever now, I identify with him because he had a 12-year-old daughter. And my daughter is 12 years old. And I, I, can, I can connect with him in a way now as a father than I couldn't before. And just to imagine what he was going through is gut-wrenching. Because Jairus was in a situation where his daughter was deathly ill. There was no solution. He was a ruler in the synagogue. He was a man uh, who was a God-fearing man. But there was no solution for his daughter. There was no solution for their situation. She was so sick, he was desperate finding a miracle. He needed a miracle. She was at the point of death. And so he comes to Jesus desperately because it's his last resort. And he comes to Jesus and he begs implores that Jesus would come to his house. He says, because I know, I know that if you come to my house, my daughter will be healed. And so Jesus agrees. Jesus agrees to go to Jairus' house. But as he Jesus is going to his house, he gets delayed by the crowds. Jesus is ministry was very popular in those days and the crowds get to Jesus and because he is delayed the little girl dies and here's where we pick up in the scripture this is what happened mark chapter 5 verses 35 to 43 i'm reading from the esv version it says while he jesus was still speaking there came from the ruler's house some who said your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone and told them uh, to give her something to eat. There's so, many, so much in this story. So many things that we can look at it and glean from. There's little bits and pieces that reveal how Jesus made strategic decisions to make sure that the life of the Spirit that, that, that would overflow into... Uh, his life and it would be seen in that situation. Now, one thing that, that we need to that we need to make clear is that Jesus' mission was clarified from the beginning of his ministry. We all know Jesus' mission. Everyone knew Jesus' mission, and his mission was to seek and save the lost. That's his mission. To seek and save the lost. That's what he said. I have come to seek and to save. The loss. Now I want you to notice in this passage how intentional Jesus was about his environment. To make sure that the mission that God called him to do was performed and that he was able to be successful in it. He paid attention to the environment. This is not the only passage that exemplifies it. But there were. This is, there's so many decisions that Jesus made in this, in this story. That had to do with the environment. So that the life of God could overflow from His Spirit to His work. And so what Jesus did in part is what we need to do in our own lives. See, Jesus intentionally molded and selected His environment to empower and nurture the kind of lifestyle that moved His life mission forward. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to make choices, decisions, the select and mold the environment we are in so that we may be empowered and nurture our lifestyle in a way that the mission that God has for each and every one of us may move forward. Because God has a mission for you. He has a call for you. Jesus was out with the people. See, one thing I want you to notice is that it wasn't hard for Jairus to get to Jesus. Jesus. Because his mission was to seek and save the lost. He wasn't out away from the people. He was with the people. He was available. He was accessible. And there are three things, three ways that you and I can change our environment like Jesus did. So that we too can see an environment that, that enables the overflow of the Spirit in our lives. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, you can write down eliminate doubt and unbelief. It's important for us to eliminate doubt and unbelief from our environments. Re- Notice how important it was for Jesus to cut through the words that were spoken to Jairus because Jairus was told, hey, your child died. Don't bother the master. In other words, you see Jesus is busy, right? He's doing things like people are people need him and, and you don't need him anymore because Your daughter is beyond help. There's nothing more Jesus can do for your daughter. So you should just let him do his ministry. Be kind to Jesus. Be considerate of Jesus. What are you thinking, Jairus? Let it go. And Jairus had to make a decision. Am I going to listen to the voice of defeat and the reality of defeat? Because that was a reality. They weren't lying to him. Or am I going to trust Jesus' promise? And notice what Jesus did immediately when Jairus listened to the negative report. Jesus overheard. And even though Jesus was being pressed by the crowd, he stepped into that situation and he said, hey, don't doubt, believe. In other words, don't allow these words of doubt and unbelief to enter your heart. But believe. Hebrews 11, one says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. And I want to tell you today, like, faith is not blind. Faith sees reality. Faith understands that when things are stacked against us. Faith is not denying what's happening. Faith is seeing what's happening, but trusting God above what's happening. See, there's a, there's a clash between senses when we receive a promise from God. And some of you here today, you might have received a promise from God. There's a conviction in your heart. Something that God might have spoken to you through the scripture, through somebody. And you sense in your heart that that is the will of God for you. And there's a clash between senses. with What you see to be real. And what you hear from God. And let me tell you today. That when God speaks to you, you're going to hear first and see later. And many times what happens is what we see can affect our faith and can cause us to walk away from the promise of God. But I want to encourage you, if God has promised you, believe what you've heard over what you see. Because He has called you uh, uh, and He has made a promise. That's why Scripture says that faith comes by the hearing. you got to hear first. Before you see it. you got to believe in what you heard. Before you come to see it. And if God has impressed you. Or inspired you to pursue and believe for something. Let me encourage you to believe what you have heard. Because you will see it come to pass. You will see it come to pass. i got to remind you. There's a big difference between a defeat talk of saying. Hey, it hasn't happened. Somebody asks you. Hey, how's that project? How's that idea? And you say, it hasn't happened. J.D., how's the church building going? It hasn't happened. How's your degree? It hasn't happened. How's that job? It hasn't happened. It's a big difference between saying it hasn't happened and it hasn't happened yet. Let me encourage you to add that little mustard seed size of... Uh, faith word right there you might not have the faith to step forward and say hey it's gonna happen i know i have saying bring in the organ you know and just go oh yeah (laughs) maybe in your heart the faith is is there but it's a faith that says yet that's good hey it hasn't happened yet All right, but it will because God has spoken, and I trust. Like Job, who was surrounded by negative voices, I can dig in, silence negative voices, and say, "I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives." Second thing you can do to nurture an environment that that ushers in the overflow is this: surround yourself with the right people. Now, we're going to talk about relationships next week. That's the other layer, the deeper layer. But when it comes to the environment, this is really, really important. I want you to notice something that's small in that passage, but it's deeply significant. And it tells a lot about Jesus and His judgment. Jesus had 12 disciples and more. 12 apostles, but He had many disciples. And... He was surrounded by a lot of people who were simply going where he was going. Where is Jesus going? I'm just going to go. And this crowd just all, all pressing against him. But scripture says that when he, when he got the word that the, the girl had died, it's almost as though Jesus realizes the stakes are higher now. Faith is fragile. And we need to make strategic decisions to make sure that the environment of faith is not affected. And so what did he do? Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. What was Jesus doing? I'm not going to bring anybody that I'm not sure is going to believe. I'm not going to walk with anyone from this moment forward who is going to put doubt in Jairus' mind. I'm not going to talk to anybody or walk permit anybody to come who's going to speak doubt and defeat on this journey. Because from here till there, what we need to stand firm on is the promise that the girl is going to be okay. And so he brought Peter, James, and John. His closest friends. Friends who knew that he could perform a miracle. Friends who knew that Jairus' daughter would be well. Friends, much of our environment is dictated by the people that we surround ourselves with. So let me challenge you with a question today. Who's next to you? Who's walking beside you? Are you surrounded by people who speak life into what God has has promised you? Or are you surrounded by naysayers? People who speak doubt. People who say, oh, it's probably not going to happen. And and, then dwell on the challenges. And try to be real, right? Bring a realistic view, which is not really a realistic view. It's just a, a down and out, defeatist view. Are you surrounded by people who are for you? Who are happy when you succeed? Who are joyful when you move forward? Or are you surrounded by people who have that that hidden, jealous... I'm going to stop right there. (laughs) Right? When you move forward, they're like, oh, really? But, uh, uh, uh." But really on the inside, it's like, I don't want you to be better than me. We need to be at the same level. I don't want you to be promoted. I don't want you to get better. I don't want you to make more money. I don't want you to drive a better car. No, I don't want you to move to the nicer neighborhood. No, you got to stay right here. This is where we belong. What kind of people are you surrounding yourself with? It makes a difference. Corinthians chapter 13, verse 33 says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Which is this. If you have good faith, if you had good character, the moment God gives you a promise, it doesn't mean that you're going to surround yourself with yes people. People who are just going to say yes, 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 whatever you want. But it means that if you have somebody who is bad around you, it's going to corrupt the good in you. And you have to be very careful on how much you let them in. You can let them into the outer part, but are you going to let them in into your lifestyle? Are you going to let them deeper into your environment? Are you going to let them help dictate your environment? You've got to make sure that, that you select the people who contribute to your environment. That you, you let them in, those who agree with the, with the life of God in you. And I, I try to practice this in my life. You know? I, I don't like Debbie Downers. You know Debbie Downers? like every, There's always a problem. There's always an issue. There's always something. Uh, if, you, if you're going to walk with me, I, I don't want you to be a yes man. I don't want you to be fake to tell me that something is when it's not. But don't be an old stubborn goat either. See vision. You know, see that there's a way. If there's a problem, where's the way? Where's the solution? Because where we're headed is better than where we are now. There's, there's, there's a pinnacle. There There's, there's, a, there's, there's a, 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 a peak to climb. Yes. And there will be challenges on the way. But we're going to get there. We're going to achieve we're going to climb. We're going to go. You got to surround yourself with people who see what you see. Third is this. Set the tone. In other words, be a thermostat. Right? This is the season of the year where we all turn our eyes to our thermostats. Because we got to we got to control the, the the climate in the house, right? And then some couples fight over it cuz he likes it a little bit cooler, she likes it a little bit, little bit warmer. But it's usually because he's got dad bod, and you know, and then and, and so he can, he can deal with a little bit more of, of a cooler weather. And uh, you got the cold blooded ones, the ones who are not so cold blooded. And it, there's always that fight. So we are very familiar with the idea of a thermostat, which is simply means doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. On the inside, we get to determine what the temperature is going to be. And it's the same is true for your faith and for your life. If you're going to overflow, the same is true for your environment. You got to set the tone. Look at what Jesus did. Notice what Jesus did because Jesus is our example, right? Why are you making a commotion? It sounds insensitive, I wouldn't have the courage to do that walking into a mourning room. People are crying the death of a little girl. What are you doing, Jesus? This is highly insensitive. It's nearly offensive. People are crying because the girl just died. The least Jesus could do is like, I know it's tough, right? Yeah, it's hard. But watch this. Rise. Right? (laughs) There was an important element to set the environment for a miracle. To make sure the environment was right so that faith could be activated. And so Jesus says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. He's speaking his promise over the reality. The child is not dead. And what did he do? When they laughed, because they could have agreed. They could have said, yes, Master, we believe. We're with you. She's not dead. But they didn't. They laughed. Another, another, another passage says that, another translation says they mocked him. They're laughing like like, what are you saying? Like he's dumb for saying that. And so what did Jesus do? He put them outside. He put the naysayers outside. He put the mockers outside. What are some of the things in your life that you need to put outside? What are some of the things in your environment that you need to just do like Jesus and put outside? Because they're draining your faith and they're speaking a reality that's not what God has promised. See, it's important to set the environment for what God wants to usher in your surroundings and impact your outlook and your vision and they can stop the flow of the spirit if we're going to live in the overflow with the life of god that flows from the inside out we ought to pay attention to our environment you might not have people weeping in your living room i hope you don't that would be very sad but what are some of the things that are not contributing To what God has spoken. What are some of the things that are contributing to the wrong mindset and the wrong lifestyle in your environment? See, sometimes we want to change our lifestyle. We want to change the things that that we do, our attitudes, our values. But we're not paying, paying attention to our environment. The environment has to be changed. And we got to act like thermostats to that environment. For example, if your marriage needs help, If you have a relationship with a loved one that needs help, you shouldn't be watching content that celebrates infidelity, that celebrates betrayal, that celebrates suspicion, that celebrates greed, that celebrates division in the home. You shouldn't watch content like that, anyways. But you shouldn't be watching content that will contribute to the, your questions and your mindset. And you're gonna get, oh, yeah, that's probably how he thinks. Oh, that's probably how she thinks. Yeah, look at that. Oh, that's how people are. That's how the world is, anyways. No, it's a lie. And that's not your reality. Why would you feed your soul more doubt? Why would you feed your soul more unhealth? Put that stuff outside. Do like Jesus. Push that stuff outside. Feed your soul good things. Put on some good, old-school love songs. Nothing wrong with that. Some positive songs, some worship. Feed your soul content that will better your marriage, that will better your relationship. Change the atmosphere from an atmosphere of doubt, an atmosphere of suspicion, to an atmosphere of love, of trust, of confidence. We try to do that. He's agreeing. We try to do that uh, uh, constantly in our life, in our house. And I had a close friend who asked me recently, uh, after I told him uh, some challenges that we had uh, with the church, he asked me, J.D., do you ever get discouraged? Because I don't think you do. (laughs) Um, And I told him, I do get discouraged. Of course, we all get discouraged. But I've made a decision a long time ago that I'm not going to feed discouragement in my soul. It doesn't lead anywhere positive. Definitely doesn't lead to solutions. I'm not going to allow discouragement to turn my life from a life of faith to a life of doubt. And to live in the overflow, we need to know how to set the temperature. Just like a thermostat at home, it can be cold and dark outside. The the perspective may be glim. The outward situation may be cold and gloomy. But inside, it's, it's bright and warm, baby. Inside, there's faith. Inside, there's trust that God will do what He promised to do. And we do this at the house all the time with simple things. We're teaching our daughters to do that. You know, when they get into an argument, as siblings do, change the tone. Change the conversation. The way that you're talking to each other is not going to lead to a solution. Step back. What do you want? Tell each other what you want and say it nicely with respect. Sometimes it works, guys. (laughs) Sometimes they listen. (laughs) (laughs) When the day feels sad, you know, we all have those days where you wake up and... You just want to keep the shades drawn and you want to stay under the cover because you're not feeling it, man. Maybe you got some bad news at work and you don't want to go back. You feel tempted to call in sick and just play some sad, sad song and, 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 just, and just dwell in that. Sulk in it. Don't do that. Do the opposite. If the day feels sad, open the curtains. Put some, put some joyful worship music on. Say, I'm not going to stay here. Uh, scripture says, Say the weak, I am strong. So I'm going to rise because the strength of the Lord, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you feel like stay inside, discourage, go outside. Open the shades. Let the sun in. Go to the park. And, 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 and allow your, your soul and your, your mind to get a new perspective on that situation. Don't follow your feelings, follow the promise of God. Set the direction. For your life. Some of you, that's what you need to do in your house. You need a happy room in your house. You need a joyful room in your house. A place where you enjoy, a place where you can do what you do, right? If you're creative, a place where you can be creative. A place where you can work, build, dream, dream sing, dance, create, pray and pray some more, and pray some more again. It'd be great for you to have a place that that you can go there and get lifted up. Whatever strengthens you, that's, that's what you do in that place. It's important to do that. You know, this week, uh, it was very interesting because it, as I was thinking about the service, you know, for, for us pastors who preach, we, 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 we are constantly thinking about this time that we share together. And so um, tomorrow, on, on Monday, my mind is going to immediately go to, what I'm going to share with the church on next Sunday. And there are other things that we need to do, other work that we need to share. But in the back of my mind, it's like, Holy Spirit, what do you want? What do you want? I know I'm going to talk about relationships, but what's the passage? Because sometimes I have it down. Sometimes it's, I have the concept, but I need the scripture. I need the, 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 the part, right? And on Monday, last Monday, I felt strongly in my heart the story of Jairus. It just came to me. And, and I went and read it and went through it and saw all the details like this is perfect. Jesus is setting the environment. He's changing the situation. He's giving us all these tools to deal with a situation that's dire. And then on Wednesday, Wednesday I got a phone call. My cousin, who recently moved to Tampa, was rushed to the hospital after being revived in the ambulance. She had to get The paddles and be revived because she had a a cardiac arrest. And she had been fighting stage four cancer since June when she found out. And she has been running this low-grade fever that nobody was able to identify. They thought it was a, a consequence of the chemotherapy. But it turned out that she was fighting three infections and didn't know. And those infections caused her heart to stop And because they had gone undetected for some time, uh, when the chemo treatment was administered, her defenses, because that's what chemo treatment does, right? It lowers your immune system to to fight cancer, because cancer is an autoimmune system problem. And so when it lowers your immune system, you're susceptible to other diseases. And so people who go through chemotherapy, they have to be very careful not to get sick, because their body doesn't have the tools to fight any sickness. And her scenario was that she contracted not one, but three infections. And so it was very dire. And on the phone call, my cousin, her sister, who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, was telling me, J.D., I'm scrambling away to get my kids to be taken care of, and I'm going to hop in the car, and I'm going to drive down there. Uh, immediately and I'm just waiting for a parent so my cousin's parents were in Brazil and they were rushed uh, to an emergency flight to the airport to fly back and so they were they were going to land in Atlanta and fly to Tampa immediately everybody's being called in because the doctors are saying hey she has hours maybe days to live and there's nothing we can do She's hooked up to all of these different things and, and a, a, a cold mat to keep her temperature down and IV fluids to try to fight the infections. But they said at this point, there's nothing we can do because if we fight the infection, the cancer grows. If we fight the cancer, the infection grows. Her organs are starting to shut down and there's, there's nothing we can do. Call the family because this is your chance to say goodbye. And so my cousin was desperate, and Aline and I scheduled to go see her on Friday, praying that this would not be the end, praying that she would still be with us on Friday. And so we got there Friday morning in the hospital room, and I saw her. She was surprised to see us. It was a great surprise. I hadn't seen her in 20 years. We grew up together, but uh, after we moved to Texas, we hadn't seen each other in person, and and, and she saw me, and with tears in her eyes, summoning the strength to speak, she looked at me, held my hand, and said, J.D., Jesus is going to take me out of here. I will walk out of this hospital. That's his promise. Jesus will get me out of here. And I saw around her, all the numbers said the, the opposite. I've been in enough hospital rooms to be able to read the monitor and I saw the, uh, the blood oxygen level, it was low. I saw the heartbeat, it was low. I saw the blood pressure, it was something like 90 over 30. I saw her temperature over here, the mat that was ice cold trying to lower her fever had her body at 103 degree temperature. Her mind is fully there. She is aware, but she is weak. And she's saying... What she's declaring is the complete opposite of her reality. She said, God spoke to me that I'm going to walk out of here. And that's what I'm believing. But it's hard because every report is negative. Every word from the doctors, the nurses is negative. And not only is that, but everyone is in shock. Because here's a healthy 44-year-old woman who just a few months ago, was leading life as normal, but now is fighting this terrible, terrible situation. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, where everything around you says the opposite. Everything around you speaks against God's promise. The negative voices are so strong. I kept thinking about Jairus in that room. And I remember before we, we, we flew down there, I remember the Holy Spirit said, you know, this word is not just for Sunday. It's for her. And I was impacted by the fact that God had given us a word on Monday. And so I told her what I'm telling you. Dear Naira is her name. Silence the negative voices and believe in the promise of God because that's all we can do. We ought to believe in the promise of God. Tomorrow is His, but we're going to believe in the promise of God. And we prayed for healing. We anointed her with oil and we prayed for healing, full healing and recovery. And I told her exactly what I'm telling you. You know, you got to stand firm. You got to surround yourself with positive things. You got to confess the scripture, confess healing. And friends, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tough situation that she's in. But that night, she was transferred to the oncology room. She no longer had to be in the ICU. And the next day, the report we got, we had already gotten back to Stanford the next day. The report we got yesterday afternoon is that the infection is no longer life-threatening. And that she is going to be able to recover from this infection. Now, she still has to fight cancer. It's stage four. It's tough. But the cancer was shrinking under the chemo treatment. And so we encouraged the family to say, hey... It's, it's in God's hand. There's nothing the doctors can do. But we know a God who promises things. So let's set the environment for healing. Let's set the environment for faith. And, and deliver the future to God's hand. And trust in His sovereignty. Because in a situation that dire, that's all we can do. Maybe you're here today and your situation is not that dire. You're not facing something that Terrible, like Jairus or like my my cousin. But let me encourage you to have the faith to change the environment. That when the environment is set against God's vision, you're able to eliminate doubt and unbelief you're able to surround yourself with the right people, and you're able to be a thermostat in that situation. And if you do that, I believe the life of God will be able to flow through your spirit to your environments, to your lifestyle, and to everything you do. And you will live the life that God has called you to live with full of joy and full of fulfillment. And you'll be able to get through situations that are dire because you're setting an environment that overflows with God's life. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.